Hey guys, today's going to be a bit of a musical episode. Now, I'm not going to sing, so uh, fear not. But did you know a ton of musicians come from North Carolina? Well, today I'm going to cover three. So stick around, and I'm going to tell you about Charlie Daniels, Little Eva, and Gerald Austin. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Curtis, and this is the weekly podcast where I talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. Now, I may sound a little different in this episode. Uh, I got a bit of a cold. That's what happens to me in North Carolina this time of year. You know, it's uh, 80 degrees one day and, and 25 degrees the next day, and my body doesn't know how to deal with that, so it just clogs my sinuses and, and hopes for the best. So if you're new to the show and you don't like the sound of my voice, uh, check out one of my other episodes where I, where I feel like I sound more normal, and uh, maybe the, maybe that'll suit you better. And while you're checking out the other shows, you can go to the website at www.thenceverythingpodcast.com, and there you can check out all the fruits of my hard labor. You can uh, click on the show notes and see links to any sources and links to any pictures to each perspective episode. And you can uh, hit the contact button and reach out and suggest an episode or tell me what you think about the show. And uh, as for you returning guests, you can also go to the website and reach out and email me. But I do want to say that uh, this is another um, three-part episode. I mean, there's three different contents in this one episode. And this is the second time I've done that. Um, actually, I think it's the third time I've done it in the show's history. But this is the second time in a row. The last episode was Andy, Randolph, and Sir Archie, or Andy, Randolph, and Archie. But that episode is about Love Valley and Randolph Scott, who was a, a movie star cowboy, and Sir Archie, who was a really famous racehorse. Now, I don't want you to think that every single episode is going to be like this from now on, um, but those those three in the last episode and, and the three in this episode, they, in my opinion, they weren't enough on their own to make a, a whole episode, so I... I started putting them together, and um, I may do that again in the future, but the next episode should be by itself. And I think that's all I need to say about that, so let's go ahead and jump right in to Charlie Daniels. Now, the Charlie Daniels portion was uh, actually suggested by Rip from Smithfield, and it was suggested a second time by Mark from Richlands about two days ago at the time of this recording. So thank you, Rip, and thank you, Mark, for the suggestion. So Charlie Daniels is born in Wilmington on October 28, 1936, but he grew up in Gulf, and Gulf is between Siler City and Sanford, or on a larger scale, if you draw a line from Greensboro to Fayetteville, Gulf is almost exactly halfway between those two cities. He graduated high school in 1955. Now, during the high school time, he played guitar and fiddle for uh, a few small bands, after high school, Charlie forms a band called the Jaguars. In 1959, he would have been 23 at this time, he gets a recording session with Epic Records. And the guy who's recording him is named Bob Johnson. Now, Bob eventually became Columbia Records' leading folk and country music producer. Now, this album that they made that night, it really didn't do all that good, but Charlie Daniels continued to write songs and play music. Now, even though Charlie Daniels and the Jaguars weren't doing so good right now, one of the songs that Charlie Daniels did write was recorded by Elvis Presley in 1963. 
And that song was called It Hurts Me. Late into the 1960s, it was pretty evident that the Jaguars weren't going to ever get to be a big, a big name band. And so Bob Johnson, that guy that helped him record that first album with the Jaguars, he suggested that Charlie Daniels should move to Nashville. And so that's exactly what he did, but not before he married Hazel Alexander in 1964. Pretty much as soon as he stepped foot in Nashville, um, he got a lot of attention for his skills on the guitar and the fiddle. And so he was essentially still a newcomer to Nashville when he played on three of Bob Dylan's albums. And before the 1960s were even over, he played with Leonard Cohen's touring band. And around that same time, they produced the Youngblood's Elephant Mountain album. At age 34, he started playing with one of the biggest stars in the world. And that was Ringo Starr. They made the Bukus of Blues album in 1970. Finally, in 1971, Charlie Daniels debuted his own album. It was named Charlie Daniels, and it came out on Capitol Records. But despite the unimaginative album title, it actually ended up in the top 30, and the hit Texas Rider came off that album. The year 1972 put Charlie Daniels on the road that he would travel for the rest of his life, because that's when he formed the Charlie Daniels Band. Now, I love the Charlie Daniels Band, but I found out in this research uh, a clue as to why that might be. You see, Charlie Daniels, when he first uh, put the band together, he used the Allman Brothers band as kind of a blueprint. And uh, if you know anything about me, you know I love the Allman Brothers. All right, so in the Charlie Daniels band, you had Charlie Daniels on lead guitar, vocals, and fiddle. Don Murray was a lead guitarist. Charlie Haywood was a bassist. James W. Marshall was the drummer. And Joe DeGregrio was on the keyboard. In 1973, the Charlie Daniels Band would hook up with Kama Sutra Records and they would release the Uneasy Rider album. Now that next year, 1974, the Fire on the Mountain album was released and it had one of the first Charlie Daniels songs I ever remember hearing. It was called Long Haired Country Boy. Now that album went to gold really quick and eventually it went to platinum. The next year, 1975, they would outdo themselves when they came out with the Knight Rider album. And that's because on that album, there was a song called Texas, and it became a top 40 country hit. The album Saddle Tramp came out the next year, and it became his first top 10 album. After this, Charlie Daniels kind of waned for a, a few years. He didn't really put out uh, anything major. And I read that he started thinking that maybe the Southern rock sound wasn't uh, as in high demand as it used to. And so he dropped the Southern rock a little bit and, and decided to focus mostly on his country. And I'll have to say that that was a hell of a good decision because in 1979, he recorded a song called The Devil Went Down to Georgia and it became a number one hit. And to be honest with you, I haven't met anybody of uh, all different generations um, that, that hasn't heard The Devil Went Down to Georgia in some form or fashion. I mean, it's been covered uh, a thousand times by professionals and amateurs. They've even used it uh, in all kinds of movies. Some of my favorite movies that they used The Devil Went Down to Georgia in are Urban Cowboy, The Water Boy, and Coyote Ugly. In 1980, Charlie Daniels released a song that he had written, and it's probably one of my favorites. It's called The Legend of Wooly Swamp. And what's ironic is The Legend of Wooly Swamp, if I remember right, I don't think he even plays the fiddle in that song. If he does, he doesn't do it very much at all. But uh, there's just something about that song. It's, it's a creepy song. It's kind of you know creepy, spooky. Um, I guess if you've never heard it, it has a bit of a, a ghost theme to it. Um, I would definitely give that a listen. That's a, that's a good one. 
Now, if you hate this song, uh, in my defense, where I grew up at was kind of a, we call it the flat woods. Um, and the woods are very flat, but in the rainy season, those flat woods turn into a swamp. And so, uh, the woolly swamp kind of hits close to home or, or brings back memories, I guess. In 1989, Daniel releases an album called Simple Man and the feature song Simple Man is also one of my favorites. As far as hit songs go, Charlie Daniels kind of went on the back burner in the 90s. Um, I mean, everybody loved him. He had a huge following, but uh, he didn't really come out with no whoppers in the 90s. But then we had the attacks on September 11th, 2001. And Charlie Daniels responded to those attacks by releasing the song, This Ain't No Rag, It's a Flag. Now I can tell you that uh, several country artists released songs around that time in response to the September 11th attacks. But uh, I remember this song probably more than, than most of the other ones. In 2005, Charlie Daniels started a relationship with Koch Recording Label, and they came out with Songs from the Longleaf Pines, which is a, a gospel album. Now, he eventually made several albums with Koch. And by the way, I don't know if that's Koch or Coach, but it's K-O-C-H. Um, he made several albums with them, and it kind of was all over the place between uh, bluegrass and kind of a blues sound and country and rock. Um, he, he was all over the spectrum with, with Koch. Finally, in 2008, at age 71, Charlie Daniels received what he considered to be his greatest achievement when he was inducted into the Grand Ole Opry. Now, from here, he kept playing concerts, he kept putting out new albums, and in 2016, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Around this time, he was working on his memoir, and it was published in 2017, and it's called Never Look at the Cheap Seats. And sadly, at age 83, on July 6, 2020, Charlie Daniels died from a massive hemorrhagic stroke. And the last thing I, I want to say about Charlie Daniels is he did play kind of a rock and roll sound. He had kind of the bluegrass sound with his fiddle. He had kind of a bluesy sound in some of his songs. And uh, I don't know if everybody would love uh, The South's Gonna Do It Again, which that could be a controversial song. Not everybody's going to love uh, Simple Man or even uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia. I mean, uh, they play it to death. But I, I think if you've never heard Charlie Daniels, if you were to sample um, a lot of the music from his career, I guarantee you'll find something you do like. And now let's move on to Little Eva. Now, I do want to say something. I meant to say this at the beginning of the episode. Um, this episode, most of my episodes where I'm including more than one subject, um, this isn't from like my favorite to the least. Um, and this isn't the most popular to the least. It's just how it kind of played out. The reason I say that is because Charlie Daniels certainly made it farther in his career than little Eva. By the way, if I call her little Ava, I don't mean to, it's, uh, I think I'm getting confused with, um, Ava Gardner. Um, I'm getting my Ava and Eva's mixed up. But anyway, Charlie Daniels certainly made it farther than Little Eva, but that had nothing to do with the way I sorted out these uh, these folks in this episode. Another thing is, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk too long, but um, a little background on the music I was raised up with. I am from the country, and I, I loved country music up until about 1998. Um, I love really love bluegrass music, but I wasn't raised up on that stuff. Um, I listened to it a, a little bit. I was actually raised up on, on what we called oldies. Um, now I realize that in 2022 oldies is what, um, I, I call nineties music and that's kind of sad, but my mama had us listening to music from the fifties, the sixties and the seventies. And my favorite musicians growing up 
were not white cowboys. As a matter of fact, my all-time favorite group from that era are the Shirelles, and I'm actually starting to put together an episode on them. Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to get that put out, but it turns out, and I didn't know this, as big a fan of the Shirelles as I am, um, most of the band, if not all of them, I hadn't done the research yet, most of the band, most of the group, Shirelles, are from North Carolina. So keep your eye open for that uh, in the near future. All right, and I apologize for getting off track like that, but let's get back to Little Eva. Unfortunately, her story is a little bit shorter than that of Charlie Daniels, but it's still an interesting story. Eva Narcissus Boyd was born on June 29, 1943 in Belhaven, North Carolina. And that's a town on the coast. It's located on the Pungo River, and it's not too far from Bath. It's um, northeast of Bath. Eva was one of 16 children, or it could have been 12, or it could have been 13. Um, my, my different sources said different things, although two of my sources said 16, so uh, I'm, I'm going to go with that for now. She got into singing at a really young age when she sung in church, and her family put together a, a quartet called the Boyd Five, in which she was a member. And that's not a mistake on my part. Uh, my notes say it was a quartet, which I know means four, but the group was called the Boyd Five. Now, even though you're going to hear me call her Eva, she'll go down in history as Little Eva. The way that uh, Little nickname came to pass was that she had an aunt who was also named Eva. And so, to distinguish them apart, there was Big Eva and Little Eva. Well, in 1959, at age 16, Eva made a trip to New York City, and she went to the Brill Building, and that was the center for teen-oriented rock and roll. Now, nothing really came of this trip, not that I could find, but a year later, she went back to New York City, and she took a job as a maid. Now, she had relatives in the Brighton Beach area, which was over in Brooklyn, and in 1962, she moved over to that area to be closer to them. Also, on December 18, 1962, she married James Harris. And that marriage was really the beginning of her career, because her new sister-in-law was acquainted with a lady named Earl Jean McRae, and she was a member of the group The Cookies. And so through her sister-in-law, she got to meet the group The Cookies, and they found out that she could sing. And so what would happen is, whenever one of the members of The Cookies couldn't get out of class, Eva would come in and substitute for that missing member of the group. And she was getting paid for filling the empty spot, but it wasn't steady work. And, uh, you know, she, she still needed money. But eventually, she got herself a, a really special babysitting job. She was babysitting for famous songwriters, Carol King and Jerry Coffin. Well, one day, Carol King and Jerry Coffin come home, and they find Eva singing a song that they had written for D.D. Sharp. And they weren't upset. They were quite impressed. And so they dropped everything, and the three of them went to the studio to record. Little Eva sang lead, and Carol King sang backup. The song was called The Locomotion, and Little Eva was 16 when it became a number one hit. So suddenly she was making $30,000 a week, up from $35 a week babysitting. Little Eva started to appear in magazines, and she popped up on TV. And then she started touring all around the United States and England. And she even went on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Well, she followed up the locomotion with Keep Your Hands Off My Baby, and her third record was called Let's Turkey Trot. Now, none of these other albums ever matched the success of the locomotion, and eventually when the cookies started getting really big, she, she sung with them some, but she never reached quite the, the level of fame as her contemporaries. Eventually in the 70s, she finally got weary of the, the rough music business, and she retired. She and her children moved back to Belhaven, North Carolina, 
and they got back into the church. And little Ava started working regular old menial jobs. The sad part is this girl, with this amazing voice who one time recorded the locomotion, was now having to occasionally rely on welfare to get by. In 1972, they re-released The Locomotion, and it hit number 11 on the British charts. In 1974, Grand Funk Railroad hit number 1 with their version of The Locomotion, and in 1988, Kylie Minogue covered the song. And Little Eva didn't receive a single cent from any of these people. In the meantime, Little Eva was running Hansie's Grill. Now, one thing the Kylie Minogue version did do was bring a lot more attention to the original locomotion. And so Little Eva came out and started doing live shows again. And in 2003, at age 59, Little Eva died of cervical cancer. And now we're going to talk about Gerald Austin. Some of you may not be familiar with the band The Manhattans, but he was the lead singer. Gerald Austin was born in Henderson on November 8, 1951, and he was born the nephew of gospel singer Johnny Fields, who was a member of the Blind Boys of Alabama. His dad was Reverend J.B. Austin, and so naturally, he learned how to sing in church. When he was a teenager, he formed a band called Gerald Austin and the New Imperials, and they were kind of a religious group, and they would, I mean, they sang religious music and regular music, I guess you could say. But when they, uh, when they appeared in churches, they called themselves the Gospel Jubilee. Now, one day when Gerald's band was making a local appearance, a band called the Manhattans were in town, and they borrowed some of Gerald's equipment for their show. Well, later on, they heard Gerald Austin rehearsing, and they were really enjoying what they were listening to. They asked him to join the band, and so at age 17, Gerald Austin became the lead singer of the Manhattans. And there wasn't really a limit to their success. In the 70s and the 80s, they came out with songs like There's No Me Without You, Wish That You Were Mine, Hurt, We Never Danced to a Love Song, Don't Take Your Love From Me, I Kinda Miss You, and It Feels So Good To Be Loved So Bad. But one of their most popular songs, and certainly my favorite song, came out in 1976. And that song is called Kiss and Say Goodbye. And I strongly urge you that if you've never heard this song and you like good music, stop right now and go listen to Kiss and Say Goodbye real quick. Anyway, this song, it went to number one on both pop and R&B charts. In the 1980s, they won a Grammy for their song, Shining Star. Well, Gerald Austin, he stayed with the Manhattans for 17 years, and then he decided to try a solo career. He joined up with Motown Records, and his first album was called Gerald Austin, and after this, in 1990, he released Open Invitation. His third album was called Always in the Mood. And then, in 1993, he signed with Street Life Records. And here, he recorded what he believes is his best album. It was entitled First Class Only. In 1993, he joined back up with the Manhattans for a 30th year reunion. And since then, they have been touring all around the world. Now, in 2003... Gerald Austin was asked to perform at the Sam Cooke Tribute in Chicago, and I would pay any amount of money to hear that. Um, I mean, Sam Cooke is amazing anyway. Um, I would love to hear the Manhattans cover some of Sam Cooke's songs. Well, I'm assuming they've done a, a good job at the Sam Cooke Tribute because they were asked to come back and do it again in 2006. And since Gerald Austin is the only one on my list today who's still living, that's really all I have on Gerald Austin. And I hope that wasn't uh, too much dumped on you at one time. 
North Carolina has produced a ton of musicians, and if this show goes on long enough, I plan on covering each and every one of them. But for some of you older folks like me, I hope that brought back some memories. And for some of you younger folks, I hope that educated you and, and maybe turned you on to a different kind of music. I know it's cliche to say that uh, you know they don't make them like they used to, um, but that, to me, in my opinion, that is certainly true with music. Anyway, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because that's the number one way you can help the show. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have an idea for a show, you can reach out to me by going to www.thenceverythingpodcast.com backslash contact, or you can just go to the website and there's a contact button right there on the home screen. And uh, I can't actually tell if my voice sounded any different in this episode, but if it was aggravating, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be back to normal next week. And so, I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from archesaudio.com and freepd.com. <laughs>